0: All right. I wanted us to uh, want to draw your attention to verse eight tonight, First Timothy chapter three and verse eight. And notice what it says: Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. So we've been talking about mysteries. We're going to continue doing that tonight. And notice how it mentions the mystery of faith, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. Okay? What does that mean? What is the mystery of faith? OK, and so before we answer what the mystery of faith is, I want us to look at some other I want us to look at some things about what a mystery is to just kind of help us understand what it's talking about when it says mystery of faith. So first go to Ephesians chapter three and verse four. I've got several scriptures I want to, I want to look at, but a you know, what is a mystery? Okay. And a mystery, uh, that's, there's a few different ways we could explain it, but a mystery is something that was not previously known. Okay. Something that at one time it was not known. It was a mystery. All the mysteries we've looked at so far are things that they're not mysteries anymore. And I don't believe the mystery of faith is a mystery anymore necessarily. I do think Um, To a certain extent, there still is a mystery of faith, but you'll see what that what I mean by that as we get going. But uh, Ephesians 3, 4 says whereby when you read, you may understand the knowledge and the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. And it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. And so right there we see it was something that wasn't previously known. So whatever, what we know now as believers today, we know things that they didn't know back in the Old Testament. We know things about God that Abraham and David did not know. And we even know things about Jesus Christ that the disciples didn't know while they were walking the earth. We have, we've received those things. And so a mystery sometimes is just something that was not previously known. A mystery sometimes is something that's beyond human understanding, or I should say, understanding of the natural man. First Corinthians chapter two, and this here is really important because I'm going to show you something tonight that I think I, I'm really hoping will be a big help. And we're gonna we might we might get a little deep tonight, all right? But hopefully uh, this will be clear. But it says we but we speak the wisdom of God. "...in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God hath ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him." People like to read that verse and stop, but it says in verse 10, "...but God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit." For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So that verse, you know, verse 9 is not something, you know, people use that about heaven and things like that. But verse 10 says, no, God has revealed these things to us. You know, the deep things. They've been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And I believe this mystery of faith is something that is still a mystery to those who are lost. And it's something that they cannot understand. We see... In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 10 says, the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Why did God not want them understanding these parables? Because they wouldn't believe Him. They were lost, and therefore Jesus, while was speaking the truth in these parables, he did it in a way. So, only those who are believers could understand it. And so, many of the things that we teach are things that only believers can understand. And to the world, it's a mystery. And we see when it comes to the requirement of a deacon that it was supposed to be somebody who holds the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. It's going to be somebody... That we're able to look at and they've been proven and we know, hey, this guy understands the scriptures. He doesn't just understand what's in the Bible. There's a lot of people that have great knowledge of what's in the Bible, what's in the scriptures. There are lost people that have more scripture memorized than I do. But yet they don't understand the scriptures. They are, they do not hold the mystery of faith, and I'm going to show you some of these things tonight because you know we've been uh, we've been exposing a lot of this multiple gospel stuff, and you know I've been we've been hammering on this stuff for a long time. These people who are teaching this dispensational salvation, and I'm going to show you tonight from the scriptures why these people can't get it, why they do not, why they are seeing multiple gospels, why they see a dispensational salvation, and I believe. I believe this now more than I've ever believed it. I believe it's because they're lost. I believe these people are not saved. And therefore, they, they are not holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. And so, you know, what is, you know, what is that mystery of faith? Well, let's go look at one more verse, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 1. It says, let, us, let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So a lot of these mysteries, too, there are things that need to be taught. But understand, you can only pass these things on, these spiritual things, to someone who's spiritual, to someone who's saved. And this Bible, I'm telling you, our Bible is an amazing book that I just blows my mind on a regular basis. Because and, and I, you know, I have I've scratched my head before, and I'm like, how come people are looking at this same Bible? And getting things so wrong. How can some of these, and some of these people too, that teach this dispensational junk are smart people as far as IQ goes. And it's like, how can they not figure this out? And it is because the Bible has been given to us in a way that there are some, while anybody can read it, anybody who knows how to read could pick up this Bible and read it, but there are some things that are not meant for lost people. So God wrote it in a way where anyone could read it, but yet only those who are spiritual could understand it. And there are some things that we see in those scriptures that only saved people are going to get. Only spiritual people are going to understand. And when you realize that, those of us who do have the Spirit of God and those of us who are physical too, I'm going to actually show you, you know—we we can actually understand them. And you know what? I now get why they think there's three Gospels. I get why they see why they believe there's dispensational salvation I uh, it's finally clicked to me why they are seeing that and I, I I hope I can illustrate this to you in a way that will make it clear to just show you and, and ultimately what it comes down to As you know I said I, I realized yeah these people are in fact lost these are these people are not saved and you get in a lot of trouble when you say things like that, but um, you know the Bible backs us up on that I mean real clear so the best way to define the mystery of faith is to say it's having an understanding of spiritual things. Okay, A deacon is supposed to be somebody who holds the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. Okay, and, and I'll get into what a pure conscience means here in a minute, but we can tell it's somebody who's been tested and yes, this guy doesn't just know the Scriptures. You know, Some people can get up and they can impress you with how much Scripture they can quote and how quickly they can recall Scriptures. But it's clear that They have no spiritual understanding of what that actually means. They are very inclined to going off into false doctrine and buying, because once again, you know, we do, we beat our heads against the wall all the time. You know, why can't these people see some of these things? You know, when all the, you know, oneness modalism stuff was going on, people were pushing that. It's like, why can't they see what this means? It's so clear, but it's because they're seeing it through only natural eyes. And it, you could only, there's some things you can only see with spiritual eyes. And so um, Hebrews chapter 11, okay, now faith is the substance of things, hope for the evidence of things not seen. There are some things that are physically invisible, but spiritually they're very visible. And those things, they require faith to be able to see those things. And by those things, our elders obtained a good report. You know, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the words of God. So the things that are seen are not made of things which do appear. That's why science is always in trouble. They're always trying to figure out how everything got here by what's here. But the Bible says those things were not made of those things which you know do appear. You know, they're by, by things we can't see. By God. By the invisible God. And so, you know, lost people, they're, you know, they're not going to understand creation you know and you know even us who are saved we don't necessarily get how it worked but you know what we don't have i don't have any trouble believing it i have a lot of trouble believing the big bang a lot of trouble believing that i don't have any trouble but you know when i look at how amazing this book is believing that god could create this universe i don't understand the power but i do i believe it and so the mystery of faith this is how we distinguish the saved preacher from the lost preacher this is how we can figure out who the false prophets are and it specifically mentioned that, too, when it's talking about a deacon. And that's why it's important that pastors actually do this. And I, I'm afraid, I think one of the reasons we have so many false prophets out there today is because somewhere, somewhere along the line, somebody got the idea that Bible qual- college, you know, completing a four-year course, qualifies somebody for the ministry. And you got guys, you know, who made it through Bible college pretty much because they paid their bills. You know, they answer questions on a test. Well, you know, all you have to do to answer questions on a test is just know what the teacher wants you to say. That doesn't mean they agree with all that stuff. And, you know, a lot of these guys, do they go through college. Now, I graduated from such and such college. Oh, man, we can trust this guy. We know that's a good college. You know, we know the president of that college. We know he's a good guy. And these people aren't qualified. One, because they're not even saved. And they don't hold the mystery of faith in pure conscience. Yeah, but they know their Bible really well. Yes, they know what's in the Bible, but they don't hold the mystery of faith. They clearly don't understand the spiritual things. And I do. I believe because we've got these big Bible colleges where few people are keeping an eye on a lot of people and they're just being run through the system and then getting sent out into ministries. We have sent out... Tons and tons of false prophets. I don't think all of them are false prophets, but there's a lot of them. Where if it went back to where pastors train people, you know, they could actually keep an eye on these people and they, you know, uh, you know, get to know them better and find out about these things. And we have we've forgotten about this uh, requirement of you know holding the mystery of faith because a deacon. I believe a deacon is somebody who is like an assistant pastor today. We would call him an assistant pastor in most churches today, but it's somebody too, who's probably, uh, you know, most assistant pastors are eventually want to be a pastor. And um, before they ever do that, I think, you know, they ought to said they ought to meet the qualifications. And if it's a requirement for a deacon to hold the mystery of faith, you know, I think a pastor is supposed to be able to do it too, for sure. And I believe it's not going on. And so, you know, a deacon somebody who's basically an assistant pastor, someone who maybe is going to be a pastor, and he's got to be proved. because false prophets are going to try to come in. And, the, and false prophets are lost. You know, these aren't people that are in error. They're just false prophets. And God, in His Word, He has given us a way to be able to, you know, figure it out, to see who's for real and who's not. God doesn't want us sending out false prophets. So he's he's helped us out and he's given us some requirements and we've just forgotten about these things and one of them is holding the mystery of faith and so real quickly let's look at these qualifications for a deacon one he's not supposed to be double tongued okay you know there's a lot of guys too that they come that come through Bible college and it's clear they don't know what they're talking about you know and it's like they are double tongued they're kind of two faced they're all over the place you know uh, missionaries okay I love missionaries. But most of these missionaries that are going right into deputation, right out of Bible college, they have no clue who they are. And some of the missionaries that I know right now that, you know, I I like these people, but you know what? They're double-tongued or what we would call two-faced. They're always getting, they get along with every group. And it's like, how can you, you know, some of us, you know, some of these groups are way different. Beliefs are way different, but it's like they've been for so long, for so many years, they've been going from church to church, trying to impress everybody so they can get the support. These people don't know who they are. They don't know what they believe. They don't know what side they're supposed to be on. And they're double-tongued. A deacon shouldn't be double-tongued. The deacon ought to know where he stands. He ought to know what he believes. He ought to be settled on some things. And if he's not settled yet, then you know what? He shouldn't be a deacon. And these people that are coming out of Bible colleges, they don't know where they're at. And I've talked to many of them. And I've talked to many pastors who they've been in the ministry now for several years and they will tell you they didn't learn anything in Bible college. I mean, that's the testimony I get from most pastors unless they're in really good standing with their Bible college and getting promoted by their Bible college. They're not going to say that. But most of them are saying, you know what? I was not prepared when I got out of Bible college. I did not learn any doctrine in Bible college. And... But yet, people are going out of Bible college and immediately trying to get support for the mission field. Some of these guys are going out of Bible college and going into evangelism. And the type of evangelism that's not even evangelism, it's evangelism where you just go and preach from church to church. Basically a motivational speaker. You know, some 21-year-old punk, you know, made it through four years of Bible college. And, you know, he knows, you know, he's got all this wisdom now. He's just going to go from church to church sharing it. And most of these guys, the ones that are successful, are just hot shots and good speakers and you know, they don't know anything. And they they don't have any real wisdom. They definitely don't hold the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. And uh, but you know, they and they are double tongued. You know, and I I just watched a guy the other day, I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. I saw him preaching at a church. The church he's from isn't dispensational, the church he's preaching at is dispensational, and he made a statement in there and I I don't know if he was being funny. I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I like this guy. But I'm—I've been telling my wife he's a little too—I can't—I can't can't tell what he really is. And you know what? I don't know if he knows what he really is. Most evangelists don't know, and they—they are—they're double tongued. They fit in everywhere because you know they're chameleon is what they are. And I don't like that. I don't think a deacon ought to be somebody like that. A deacon's not to be greedy, a filthy lucre. And that's the problem with these missionaries and evangelists. You know, they, you know, they gotta make a living. And so they're, they're compromising all the time. They need the money. Titus 1.10 says there are very, there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not, for filthy lucre's sake. This will help me get the money. This will make me popular. This will give me a speaking spot at the big camp meeting. So I can get, you know, I can get all the speaking engagements from all the pastors that will hear me there. And these people will sell their soul to preach at some of these big meetings. I mean, they would, in a heartbeat, they would do it. But the Bible says a deacon needs to hold the mystery of faith in pure conscience. And many in the ministry, they are preaching just what they've been told to preach, not understanding what it is that they're preaching. They don't even know for sure if it's true. And I have, I've talked, you know, when it comes to like end times doctrine, I've talked to a lot of these preachers, a lot of younger preachers, you know, I'm pre-trib because that's what I've been, that's all I've been taught, but they don't know why and they will admit it. And then some of these guys, when they'll talk to me, they'll talk like, oh, you know, I don't even really know. I've never really studied out, but then they go to their church and they preach it like it's, you know, sound doctrine, like it's a, they know it for sure. And you know, that's got to bother them. It really does. You know, I hate to admit it, but, you know, I remember in the past preaching on Matthew 24 and not feeling very honest after I got done preaching it, but it was how you were supposed to preach it. And I, I can say there was a time when I didn't have a pure conscience in some of the things that I preached, but I I was doing what I was supposed to do. Not anymore. Now I have a totally clean conscience and I, I love preaching on Matthew 24 and I and I can sleep at night after I do it. But many are. They're loyal to men, they're not loyal to the Word of God. And when you're teaching something, you don't understand it will do something to your conscience. It says in first Timothy four one, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy. How can they do that? It says having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And these people, they are there. I mean, I I believe it's difficult for them at first, but you know what? The more they do it, you know, their conscience, it does it gets seared and they become numb to it. They might feel bad at first, but after they see that love offering, all of a sudden they feel a little bit better. They might feel bad when they get up in that dispensational church and they preach dispensationalism so they can get the support. But I'll bet when they get their support check, it probably makes them feel a little bit better. But you know what's happening in the meantime? Their conscience is getting seared, and it's only a matter of time, and they're gonna be preaching doctrines of devils. Multiple gospels. Things like, you know, things that will literally get people thrown into hell. Things that will, that Bible says will make you accursed. And so that deacon, they need to be proven. They need to be put to the test. And so how can we know if they hold that mystery of faith in a pure conscience? But, But we, do they understand spiritual truths? Are they able to teach these truths? You can tell when somebody's teaching something, whether they really know it or whether they don't. And you can tell too, when somebody's preaching something or teaching something and they're just teaching what's in a textbook or what's in their notes versus you know, or somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. Y'all know what I'm saying there? Okay. You know, and, and I've seen that before. I've listened to people when they're preaching on things, especially when it comes to end times, that it's clear they're just they're getting this stuff right out of a textbook, you know. And when you do, when you get up and preach, and I've heard some of these young guys they get up and they'll preach, and they'll preach how the you know Revelation four one is the rapture, uh, and I know they got that from a textbook. I know they just got you know got that from listening to another preacher. I know they really don't think that because when you call these people out on it, they just fall to pieces. They don't know what to say. They don't. One of the things that colleges don't prepare these guys for, while well, they'll tell them exactly where they should stand on things, and a lot of these guys know what they're supposed to say, they don't teach them how to counter the scripture that's going to get thrown their way because of that doctrine. They don't do that. And when you actually hit these people with Bible, it's embarrassing how bad they fall apart. And I am, I am embarrassed when I see this, because I say, you know, you know, I ran with these crowds before at one time, and I am regularly embarrassed at what I hear these people preach, and just the way they fall apart <clears throat> when they're hit with Scripture. And so, you know, we need, you know, so that deacon, we need to find out if they understand those truths, if they're able to teach those spiritual truths, and uh, if they're able to teach those things. And it says in First Corinthians two fourteen. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So, a great test of who holds the mystery of faith is their understanding of the Gospel. I want to use this too, because this is, this is one of the things we've been calling out. We've got you know, the Sleuters out there teaching us multiple Gospel stuff. There was the big interview with Grady where he's on there. I mean, making fun of people. It is foolishness to them to talk about people in the Old Testament looking forward to the cross. I mean, these guys are on there laughing at it. It's foolishness to them. It is absolute foolishness to them. And, you know, and we look at the—we look at these people and everybody's beating their, you know, they're scratching their heads. It's like, have these people never read Romans 4? You know, and, and there's all these scriptures you can go to. And I'm going to go to some of these in a little bit. And I've realized when it comes to this crowd... It doesn't matter that you show them plain Scripture that proves that there's only one Gospel. It doesn't matter that you can go to Galatians chapter 1, in verse 6, and it, where it says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another Gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the Gospel of Christ. Now let me ask you this. Does anybody remember... What does that mean? How do you trouble somebody with the gospel or with another gospel? What does it mean to trouble somebody? Can anybody tell me how in the book of Acts the people were troubled? Was it by making fun of them for just being foolish? No, it was by adding works to salvation. Okay? That was, that was, they, was, they were troubling them. When they were telling them that they, that group of Gentiles that they must be circumcised to be saved... It troubled them. They didn't want to do that. And truth is, it wasn't necessary for them to do that. But adding works to the gospel is a perversion of the gospel. And a lot of that, you know, dispensational salvation crowd would say, well, we, we don't believe in works, adding works to the gospel right now. But it was faith plus works in the Old Testament. And then that's where they get into the other Gospels, and it's going to be faith plus works in the tribulation, and they add works to the gospel then. And so, the truth is, though, if you add works to the gospel at all, I mean, you're troubling people, you're perverting the gospel. And there, is, there's only there's only one gospel, and it's always been by faith. It's always been without works, and it always will be. But I'm going to show you why they see three gospels and I'm going to show you how, why they're seeing it wrong and where they're seeing it wrong but um but yeah it's but it says in verse eight keep reading on there it says but though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have preached unto you let him be accursed as we said before so say I now again if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have received let him be accursed it doesn't get any clearer than that Two times in a row, it says the exact same thing. If any preach any other gospel, let him be accursed. They are lost. Let them go to hell is what that verse is saying. I know that's strong language. But that's what the Bible is saying. But yet people today, they're letting these guys get up and say these things. not realizing that There are going to be false prophets among us. The Bible told us that there would. It said it was going to get even worse in the last days. And it's only been in the last, you know, it's been a little over a hundred years since this dispensationalist stuff has come out it all started with Larkin and Schofield and Darby and those guys and it has ruined it has ruined churches it has ruined doctrine and we do we've got some of the most poor pathetic excuses of churches today they don't even soul win they i mean they 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 don't even they can't even preach a clear gospel i mean they they are adding works to salvation with ever repent of your sins gospel that they're preaching I mean, just like the Bible says, and it's so clear, but yet they can't see it. Why is it? These people are smart. These people have a brain. You know, what, what's going on? Are they missing something? Are we missing something? But I'm here to tell you that lost Ruckmanite cannot help but see multiple Gospels because of the fact they're incapable of understanding spiritual truth. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So it doesn't matter how many ways from the Scripture that we prove there's one gospel, they will never see it. Because the mystery of faith has not been revealed to them because they've never believed on Jesus. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, I've heard these guys say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, if I'm not saved, Jesus is a liar. Well You know, there is another verse in the Bible that says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. You know, not everybody that says they're saved is saved. The devil is smart enough to know that if he's going to send in a false prophet, that he's going to need to make sure they've got a lot of their terminology right. And yeah, they're going to say they believe on Jesus. You know, the Catholics say they believe on Jesus. When we go out and say, hey, you know, you need to ask... You know, you need to ask Jesus to come into your heart and be your sinner. Oh, I've done that. I do that all the time. I, I, do, I do it every day. You know? And, you know, they, they, they'll say the same things. Oh, yeah, I recognize I'm a sinner. But, once again, though, they add works to it, don't they? They add works to salvation. And these people, when they look at the Bible, and when they look at Jesus, they look at Him with eyes of flesh and not eyes of faith. Okay? And remember, if you, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's speaking spiritually there, isn't He? And there were many people that saw Jesus physically, but they never saw Him spiritually. And so, you know what? They never got saved. And there are people today that they acknowledge the Jesus of the Bible. They acknowledge the fact that Jesus existed. They acknowledge the truth of many of the stories in the Bible. They might even acknowledge the resurrection, I guess you could say. But they never truly believed his words by faith. They have never truly put their faith and trust in him. They have never seen him with the spiritual eyes. And I think proof of this, the people who are the most obsessed with the, you know, the people who are the most into this dispensational salvation stuff, multiple gospel stuff, are the people who are the most obsessed with physical people, Israel. Have you ever thought about that? Why are these people so obsessed with the physical people? And you know what? I, I need to say this. I need to kind of help out some of my uh, you know, Zionist Baptist friends. But you know what? They're all going nuts because Trump recognizes Jerusalem as the capital for Israel. Oh, it's just this great thing. It's this historic day. Arrogans are so stink, Americans are so stinking arrogant. You know, it's like they think that because America now recognizes Jerusalem as a capital, it's like this... Big fulfillment of prophecy. You know, and the thing that these people don't realize is that you know what, while they're all still talking about, you know, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Well, when you read that passage, it's talking about how the house of the Lord is there. Hey, okay? does God dwell in a house made with hands today? Now, did he back in the Old Testament? Yes, he did. But where does he dwell now? In the, our body. You know what he did? He replaced his old dwelling place with a new dwelling place, our body. He replaced it. I I know that's a bad word in the Baptist world, but yet He doesn't dwell there anymore. You know what the Bible calls that place? Jerusalem in Revelation? During the tribulation time, it calls it Sodom and Egypt because it's a wicked place. And these people, they don't realize, they never read Matthew chapter 23 where Jesus said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. In Matthew 24, He said, There's not going to be one stone left upon another. These people, they paid for them crucifying Jesus and they were destroyed in 70 AD. And they all want to talk about, you know, it's this eternal place. eternal. Well, where was it for 1900 years? 1900 years that didn't exist. So, Either Jesus didn't keep His promise about you know, Jerusalem being this eternal place or He was referring to something spiritual. You know, which is it? These people, they need to make up their mind. And I'm thinking, if you all are this excited just because Trump recognizes Jerusalem as Israel's capital, you're really gonna, they're really going to be excited when they start building the temple. And they're really going to be excited when they start doing animal sacrifices, which will be an abomination for them to do that. And they're really going to be excited when the Antichrist goes in there and sets up his image in the temple. And it's like these people are just there. They want to help it happen. And it's because they think they're not going to be here for any of it. But it is just amazing to watch these people go nuts. Every little thing that happens in Israel. Trump's praying at the wailing wall and you got preachers tweeting about how they're crying, just seeing prophecy unfold. Because Trump prayed at the wailing wall? How stupid are these people? They are just obsessed with the physical people and a physical place. What is wrong with these people? You know what? They're not holding the mystery of faith and the pure conscience. And not all these people are lost. Some of the people are just stupid. Some of these people are just ignorant and they know very little about the Bible and they just polyparate what they hear. They're just politically correct and it's always politically correct to say something positive about Israel. I mean, I heard Sean Hannity today. Just going on about what a historic day this is. And, you know, man, if Sean Hannity's on board, you know, let's all get on board. People, man, they need to stop watching Fox News and start reading their Bible. Just ridiculous. You know, get over it, people. Who cares? You know, you're just mad. I don't care where the Capitol's at. They probably wanted to move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem so they wouldn't have to worry about their you know, ambassadors getting raped and stuff by all the homos that are in Tel Aviv. I would want to move out of there too if I was them. It's just these people, they're, 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 they're absolutely nuts. But, these, but why are they still obsessed with the physical people? Well, wouldn't the natural man be obsessed with the physical people? But you know what? We've, we're interested in the spiritual people. You know, we, we, we determined not to do anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I don't care where your bloodline's from. You watch these people, they get so excited when a Jew gets saved. Like a Jew's soul is more valuable than a Gentile's soul. I mean, I'm glad when a Jew gets saved, but no more excited than when a Gentile gets saved. You know, thank God for anyone who gets saved. But they are, they're obsessed with the physical people, and it makes sense because they are they a are natural an man. And. The way they see these three gospels, that's proof that they are still in a natural state. And so listen, we don't know everything that the Old Testament saints knew about God. Okay? We, don't, we don't know that. But what we do know from the New Testament, based on Hebrews eleven, is that they all had faith and without works. Okay? Abraham believed God, and it was kind of a him for righteousness. If Abraham had works, can we have where of the glory? Not before God. He did. He he got saved by grace through faith without works. And so, you know, when a rucktard comes to you and they ask you, you know, show me in the Bible in the old where Old Testament saints, you know, believed the gospel. You know, and they'll say that you know the gospel meaning the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to First Corinthians 1 through four. That's what the gospel is: the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, let me show you just a few verses. Acts chapter 2. Turn over to Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. I really don't have time to go through all this, but I, I, need, I need to get this in here. Acts 2.23, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loose the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. "...therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad, and moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made, me, thou hast made known to me the ways of life, thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did his flesh see corruption. So David spoke about this, about him being raised up. David spoke about the resurrection of Christ. So right there is just one verse where it shows David knew about the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It mentions it in those pass it mentions it in those passages acts chapter 10 in verse 43 acts 10:43 says to him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believe in him shall receive remission of sins all the prophets give a witness all of them the old testament was all about jesus the whole Old Testament, all the prophets give wisdom, uh, uh, witness. Look at Luke chapter 24 and verse 27. Luke chapter 24, verse 27. This is when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus and he's talking to the men and he said, "In beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Y'all see that? Jesus went through the whole Old Testament and said, guess what? It's all about me. He talked about Himself, Jesus Christ, in the Old Testament. And then, first, let's go to First Corinthians chapter 15. They love doing this. You know, and they'll laugh at you. They will laugh at you. It is foolishness to them when you talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in the Old Testament, even though it's spelled out in the New Testament that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was talked about. And look what it says in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory, that which I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, uh, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Death. And that He was buried. Burial. And that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. What's it talking about when it's saying according to the Scriptures? Is it talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Was it talking about the Old Testament? It's talking about the Old Testament. So right there, their favorite, you know, the gospel is death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes. And we know that according to the Scriptures. According to the Old Testament. Wait, you show me where Abraham, you know, and they, they start, you know, getting real specific, you know, knew about Jesus. And you know what? I don't believe that Abraham knew about the name of Jesus. Oh, so he didn't get saved by Jesus. You know, then it was another gospel. You know, it, it, and that's the way they teach it. But I want to illustrate this to you, and to, sh- and to help you understand how this works, and to help you understand, you know, real dispensationalism, not this false, you know, made-up dispensationalism. But you know, their response is it, it's going to be something like, you know, "Those are all New Testament verses," you know, and they'll say, "Show me an Old Testament scripture that mentions death, burial, and resurrection, or even the name of Jesus." But the response to that is just like our faith in Jesus is imputed or counted for righteousness, even though we are not righteous, I believe their belief in the Old Testament in whatever God had revealed to them about himself, it was imputed or counted or accounted as belief in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of jesus christ and you know one final proof of one gospel the bible says without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins okay without the shedding of blood no remission of sins and it also says in hebrews 10 that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins and let's go ahead and turn over to hebrews chapter 10 because this passage here it also another passage hebrews who do you think that's written to you know they like to throw that one at you. But this makes it real clear. First one, for the law having a shadow of good things to come. Keep that in mind. The law, it had a shadow of things to come. And not the very image of things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifice, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou what's not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. And burn offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burn offerings and offering for sin thou what's not neither hath pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. For everyone. Past, present, and future. Jesus Christ paid for everyone. So the gospel, okay, the way of salvation, it has always been through Jesus Christ, through his death, burial and resurrection. So we, we know that the blood of Jesus is the only thing that ever got anyone into heaven. It's the only thing that will ever get anyone into heaven. And so when an Old Testament saint looked to God for salvation, while they might not have understood, you know, everything about him, they were looking to Jesus. They didn't know that name and, but they were looking at, when they looked at God and they believed in God, we now know, looking back, that they were looking at Jesus who would die and who would be buried and who would rise again. They were looking to God who was going to come and bring salvation. They didn't need to know all the details. All they had to do is just believe what had been revealed to them. They just needed to have faith in Him. And so what we see in the Old Testament, we see shadows of the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You're not going to find a clear verse in the Scripture that says death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but you will see shadows all over the place. I mean, just read about the Passover lamb and the first Passover. You see Jesus all over the place. But understand, it's easy for us to look back and see that, but even back then, they were only just looking at a shadow, but what was that shadow? It was Jesus Christ. And I think a good way to illustrate this right. Is imagine I've got a present up here, alright? Like a Christmas present. And I tell you all, let, we're, we're back in the Old Testament. And this present, we will call it the gospel. Okay? And, I, and so God, He has this present, you know, He takes this present. Here's the gospel. Here's where your salvation is. And just like kids, when they have a present and it's under the tree, what do they do? They like to look at it, they like to study it, examine it, check the shape. And think, you know, what could it be? What could fit in here? And they can kind of get some clues, you know, based on what they're able to see. They can see the shape, feel the weight, things like that. But understand that, you know, God said, you know, you've got to believe in this. It's like you've got to believe in this gift. Yeah, you have to believe in what's inside here. They didn't know what was inside, but you know, when they believed in it. It counted as believing in Jesus Christ because guess what was inside of it? It was Jesus Christ. And so when we get into the New Testament, it's like the presence been opened. Okay, the you know the presence been opened. We now can see what was in what was in that. We can see where salvation is at. And so now today, when we get saved, you know we look back at what Jesus did. But you understand too when it comes to God. There's been you know, many different revelations He's given of Himself throughout time and there's still more to come. There is still more about God for us to learn that has not been revealed yet. But there is a day coming at the revelation of Jesus Christ at a time when we see Him and we're going to know more about Him. But understand that while in the Old Testament, let's call that present, we'll call it the Gospel. We'll call it the Gospel of the Kingdom. Okay? It was the gospel of the king, because that's the first gospel, they say, the gospel of the kingdom. So you've got the Christmas present. That's the gospel of the kingdom. Well, after you open it up and you see what's inside of it, you know, now we call it the gospel of the grace of God. Because we know more about it. Hey, I've seen, I've seen what's in this. But even when it comes to that, you know, there's still some things about our salvation we don't understand. We're still in our vile bodies, aren't we? But one of these days, God's going to change us. When's that going to happen? It's going to be when we see him. After we see him, that, that is another revelation of Jesus Christ. We will know a lot more about our salvation then when we have been changed and we've been made like him. And now, let's say after we see Jesus Christ, we now have what they call the everlasting gospel, which they say is the third gospel. Okay, And so let's look at the everlasting gospel real quick. Because this is another proof verse that they will use to prove that there are different gospels. You have the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the grace of God, and the everlasting gospel. And so it says in uh, Revelation 14, 6, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto him that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Right here in the everlasting gospel, where do you see it mention the death, burial, and resurrection? Sam Gitt told me that when I talked to him at that conference. He was like, he was like, how is the everlasting gospel the same? Where do you see the death, burial, and resurrection? And in Revelation chapter 14, I'm like, well, it's implied in the fact that it's the gospel. You know? And I mean, and how do people get saved? It's because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But because it doesn't mention it, he says it's got to be another gospel. But that, that is absolutely foolish because, okay, back to the Old Testament. All right, so you got that present. It's all wrapped up. Okay, that's the gospel of the kingdom. It has now been opened. We can see the open package. And so now we talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But is that package, that gospel of the kingdom, and now that it has been opened... Is it, did it make it something different? No, it was always the same thing, wasn't it? And so now, we, in the everlasting gospel, why do we see a shift? Okay, Because notice, it doesn't mention the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I think there's a very good reason for that. Because what is the way that we all have to be saved? We have to have faith, right? You have to have faith. Well, here's the thing. And this is why it's important that end times doctrine is correct. This is another example of why the timing of the rapture is important. Because because people have gotten the timing of the rapture wrong, they don't understand this part about the everlasting gospel and they have the heretical idea that it is a different gospel. This is why it's important. Because you know why we see a different focus? Because of the fact... That at this point in time, it will not take faith to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can anybody tell me why? Because we will have seen Him. The Bible says, Behold, He cometh with clouds and every eye shall see Him. So, there is no faith in believing in a resurrected Lord because they all will have seen Him. But yet, at the same time, if you're going to be saved, just like in history past, You're going to be saved by grace through faith. So what do they have to have faith in? Well, it's not the death, burial, and resurrection that we look back on today. They have to have faith where it says, you know, give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come. Basically, you better believe that He is getting ready to come and Armageddon's about to happen. That He is going to come and destroy the earth. And we know from the book of Revelation that most people aren't going to believe that. Most people are going to blaspheme the Lamb, it says. Why are they blaspheming the Lamb? Why? Because they know who's doing all this to them. They know who is pouring out His wrath on them. And so they're blaspheming Him, but there will be some who, when that angel is going through preaching the everlasting gospel, when the 144,000 are going through and preaching the everlasting gospel, and they're saying that judgment is coming, there will be some who will believe and who will have faith, and they will believe that, you know what? He's about to come back, and I believe those people will be saved. So you're saying it's not the death, burial, and resurrection? I'm not saying that at all, because it's their faith in believing in the coming judgment that's saving them, or that's being accounted for righteousness, but at the same time, what was it that paid for their sins? It was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, do you see how there's like, we're looking at it at a different angle, from a different perspective? In the Old Testament, they looked forward. In the New Testament, we look backwards. During the wrath of God period, they look upwards. Yeah, that one that we saw in the clouds, he's about to come and pour out more judgment on us, and we better have faith in Him, we better believe what that angel is saying. We better believe what that 144,000 is saying. And so for people to be saved, they need to believe that He is coming to judge the earth. And this is not another gospel because of the fact that what is actually saving these people is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, Old Testament, they look forward. New Testament, they look backward. and the future, they'll say they look upward. That's all there is to it. Because... It doesn't. It will not take faith for them to believe in the resurrection of Christ when they have seen Him with their own eyes. So it is. It's not another gospel. It is not another gospel. And so a lost person, they can be very familiar with what the Bible says. They they can be. They can know the scriptures. They can have more memorized than you and I, but they cannot understand spiritual truth because those things are only understood by faith. And those of us who are of faith, you know, we can see both sides. You know, now, so I've been studying these people. You know, I see what they're looking at now. I see where they're seeing these differences, but understand, because they're looking through eyes of flesh. When you look through eyes of faith, it's clear that it was always Jesus. It was always about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When the everlasting gospel is preached, it will not be necessary to talk about the resurrection. They know it. They have seen him. And I don't i don't know how it's going to work exactly. But the Bible talks about how they will look on him whom they pierced. And they will mourn for him. And it says, you know, Behold, he comes with the clouds and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. Is it mentioning that because they're going to see the piercing? Are they going to see him that close up? Is it going to be that clear? I don't know where they will actually see and know. So I, I don't know for sure if that's how it's going to work. But the truth is, you know, that lost person, you know, they they can read the same words in their King James Bible, but they will never understand spiritual truths until they have saving faith. And they will teach doctrines, perverted gospels, multiple gospels. Because that's the only way they can see that. Well, gospel of the kingdom, it's got to be different than the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of the grace of God has got to be different than the everlasting gospel. They can't see the spiritual truths there because of the fact that these things are spiritually discerned. And so Matthew 13, 10, The disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but unto them it is not given. And that is why that same group, they think, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are two different things. They, they see the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God as two different things, even though in Mark, in the exact same story, it says unto that you, or under that, um, it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And it, I mean, it says it both ways in the exact same story, yet they see it as two different things. How is that? Because they can't possibly recognize spiritual truths. So it doesn't matter that we can show it in black and white. It, it, it's, it's never going to register. They're not going to see the spiritual truth. And so the truth is, you know, that's why the Bible talks about holding the mystery of faith in a, pure con- in a pure conscience. Because that that faith, that's where salvation comes from. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. We are saved by grace through faith. And there's a lot of Bible scholars out there, people that know a lot of Scripture, but it is clear. They are not holding the mystery of faith, and the Bible has showed us how we can spot these people, and it's by the gospel that they preach. And it's another gospel. And so that's how we, that gospel test right there is a great test to separate the true believers from the false prophets. And so, I hope that was a help to you tonight. So, with that, let's all stand together.